Hello and welcome to The Money Podcast. In this exclusive interview, Rob sits down with Bitcoin investor, entrepreneur, Peter McCormack. They have a fascinating conversation on all things money, how the money system is controlled, the banking system, fiat currency, cryptocurrencies, will Bitcoin revolutionize money and take over the world? All is revealed in this conversation. So let's just get straight into this. But remember, you don't risk anything, you risk everything. People always ask why aren't nurses paid more? Because they're controlled by government and public sector, not private sector. Yeah, I agree. Um, people don't talk about that though. And I believe nurses should be paid more, damn right. But the government won't pay more. And it's the government's responsibility to pay them more. Government are in massive amounts of debt. Think about all the money that you pay in tax, first off, goes on national debt. I mean, I was trying to work this out and calculate, even if they I only pay the 3% interest. I know the numbers. So you do? do you, yeah. So do you know how much, do you know what the total tax receipts for the UK government is? I don't know. It's about one, one or 1.1 trillion. A year? Yeah. yeah. Do you know what the, the biggest line item on that spend is? I would have thought uh, repaying the national debt. No. The biggest Paying one, the politicians their salaries. No, no, that's really low. Nah, um, no, it's not really low. It, it, it is comparatively. Okay. So the biggest line item is... Uh, the NHS. It's 200 billion. So it's 20% of... 20 and it's a bucket percent. with a great big hole in it. Yeah, we should come back to that because I've, I've got views on that. Mm. What do you think the second item is? The national debt. Paying off the national debt? Yeah. So the second line item is paying the interest on That's the what I meant, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. 120... 3.1 trillion, is it, the national debt? Oh, I don't know the number, but it's, yeah. I know the interest alone is 120 billion a year. Well, that works out about 3%. That sounds about yeah. right, yeah. Well, you're a money guy, you shouldn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Smart. Um, do, you <laughs> yeah, know how much we, do you know how much we spend on education? Not enough. 73 billion a year. So we're now spending more a year on servicing debt... Yeah. Which is getting bigger. Which is getting, yeah, it's getting bigger. We're more just servicing debt than we're spending on education. Yeah, okay? a lot more. So imagine you had that 120 billion in education. You could triple the education budget if you had that money for education. Now, could you imagine the quality of the teachers we would have, the quality of the materials, they have, the sports opportunities these kids would have? Can you imagine what we would be given if we had that? Maybe they wouldn't be looking to an Andrew Tate as a hero because they would have heroes in their classroom. Imagine you could double the salary of teachers. Imagine the people, imagine, like, like uh, Louis C.K. does a whole skit about teachers and saying, why would anyone do this job? It's low paid. Also, if you do a brilliant job, what do you get? You don't get a bonus. You might become a head of department. Might become a head. That's pretty much the public sector, isn't it? That's why I love the private sector. I think You've there's, got... there's, there's, different, there's different opportunities depending on the job. But what I'm saying is, imagine you had that money for education. What the things you could do and the things you do with these kids. And we don't. We have 120 billion just on service and interest of debt. Why, are we so, why do we have so much debt? Actually, another question for you, or another point for you. If we want to pay off that debt over, say, I don't know, 20 years, we have to take 240 billion out of our, spe our current spending. Okay? Because 120 billion, so we're increasing the national debt by 100, 120 billion a year, right? If we just want to get back to you know, parity, we have to take 120 billion out. And if we want to start paying it off... And there's no upside incentive for a politician to do that, is there? Well, this is the problem. The whole system. You give politicians... This is, like, this is like when we blame one party. People are like, oh, we need to get rid of Conservatives, bring Labour in now. And they're probably right. And what's going to happen? They're going to do exactly the same. Mm. 
because there is no incentive for someone to, to, to bring an austerity. The Conservatives tried. They yeah. did it in quite an evil way, but they tried. Could you imagine Labour coming and saying, our problem right now is the interest on the national debt and uh, the country's getting into more debt. What we need to do is now pay off this debt. And so we're going to have to cut our spend by 25%, which means all these line items, we've got to take 240 billion out. Who's going to vote for them? No one. But if they come in and say, oh, Tory's rubbish, you know, we're going to you know, reduce tax and whatever they do, mm. they cannot do that. You cannot sell that policy to the public, which means whatever happens, we are now in what's known as a debt spiral. Every fiat currency, you know, dollars, pounds, mm. tends to last about 90 years and they collapse. Yeah. We're seeing them collapse around the world before us already. We have Venezuela and Zimbabwe collapsed years ago. Lebanon collapsed in the last year. Uh, Turkey is collapsing. I think they've got like 90% inflation. We've hit this kind of 10% inflation. Um, with, with this inflation, we have a growing wealth divide. So eventually they cannot, they cannot get off the drug, which is the money printer. So we, we have now a spiraling problem that we cannot get out of. It, it's impossible because either you pay off the debt or you which don't. Then, or, or you go bankrupt, which you they're won't. not going to want to do either. You can't go bankrupt. You can default. Yeah. If you default, you won't be able to borrow. Yeah. Um, you can print your way out of it, which means you essentially uh, uh, drive, a, you'll crash the pound, Yeah. which Liz trusted that, and, and we saw what happened there. Yeah. So what happens is it's, it's a death by a thousand cuts. We're going to have a slow death spiral of our currency. Hence why I'm into Bitcoin. <laughs> well, I want to get to Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the money system a bit more because yeah. um, I fundamentally agree with everything you said there. Um, and, you know, people talk about fiat as the, the ultimate Ponzi scheme. Um, in a way, fiat currency is almost like one of the most amazing inventions ever. I mean, you know, you run a business. If, would you like to be able to create your own currency and print it on demand uh, as debt? Probably. I would. Do you remember from our childhood a TV show called Round the Twist? They yes. were Australians. They lived in a lighthouse. Yes. Do you remember the episode where they had the machine where you could copy something, but it would do it in reverse? So if I put that in, the writing would come out backwards. And the guy put the money in, it came out backwards. He said, oh, I'll put the backwards money in, and it came out forwards. He printed loads of money. <laughs> I always think of that. I always think of, of, of what the government has with a money printer. If I had my money printer upstairs, and I could go up there, and I could go and print 10 grand for 300 grand, would I do it? Fuck yeah, I'll go yeah. and buy a Lamborghini straight yeah. away. And every, every problem you've got, you'd, that would be the solution. Yeah. yeah, but what happens if I keep printing that money? I keep putting money into the system and buying things. So I'm taking up demand. Uh, I'm Sorry, I, ha I have demand, so I'm taking up the supply. So I'm increasing the prices of things. And I don't think people really... Our, our government doesn't teach people about education, uh, about finance. Like what incentive is there? We teach a little bit of Keynesian economics, which is basically bullshit money printing, uh, if we study economics. But we don't teach any form of Austrian economics. Well, why would they want you to know and expose their own system? Of course. Yeah. But you sound like a conspiracy theorist when you say this. Yeah. Like, oh, Pete's crazy. He's a conspiracy theorist. It's like, no, go on the OBR website, the Office of Budget Responsibility. It's there, plain and simple. Now get an get a, a Economics 101 book out about supply and demand, and then what happens to prices, okay? If you put cheap credit in the market, if you have 0% interest rates, you're saying to people, you can borrow money for free, mm. okay? And if you borrow money for free, you're gonna buy stuff. But when we have 0% uh, interest rates, who gets the large amounts of money? Yes, you can get a low interest rate mortgage, one, one and a half percent. But you can go out to massive, massive companies or funds and go and borrow billions, 
and then they can go out and buy the assets. BlackRock buying homes or whoever it is buying the homes out in the US following the 2008 financial crisis. You are, you are allowing an elite group of people to, to distort the market, to go and take up the assets, the scarce assets, which makes houses less affordable for the peasants. And so it's not, this is not conspiracy theorists. This is, this is serious stuff. This is economics one-on-one. We extend, my daughter's got an exam today. Sorry, I'm going off on one. I was like, she's like, we were driving school. She said, oh, I've got a test first thing. I was like, what is it? She said, Latin. I was like, okay. She said, yeah, basically, I've got to remember words. I've got to like memorize them and write them out. We are teaching kids to go to school still memory and memorize recall. facts. Yeah. When, what do we give them? It's over there. We give them a su- supercomputer in their pocket. They've got a device that's more powerful than the, the, the um, Apollo whatever that got us to the moon. <gasps> is it 11, 10, 3, whatever, 13? Is that not the film? <laughs> I think that's a film. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're giving them a super computer in their pockets where they can go on and ask any question and get an answer. They've, we've now got ChatGPT chat where it can write your uh, coursework for you. We're sending them to school to memorize facts when we're not teaching them about finance, budget responsibility, how the economy works, philosophy. You know, we've taken sports away from them. We've taken the arts away from them. All the things, that the, these great skills that they will need. Why? Why have we done that? Well, I've been, try- they? I've been trying to find this answer for probably a decade. Um, I think I know the answer. I think I know the answer. So we need a dramatic pause now. A, dramatic pause. <laughs> a drum roll. I think I know the answer is that... Well, because it creates decentralization. It creates... No, no, I think, um, I think governments have... Uh, Governments employ the most stupid people in our society. They, I think, the, outside of things like uh, the police, the fire, the you know, really important services, the general kind of like local councils or government, they employ, we employ the most stupid people in there. And we employ people who cannot lose their jobs. And we give them jobs where they have to come up with new rules and ideas. Like every single new law is an encroachment on your freedoms. Every single one. Now, some we can argue are good or bad, but every new law is an encroachment on your freedoms. And in doing so, what we allow them to do is to expand and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I'm going to say something that sounds really intelligent, but I'm stealing this from somebody who said on my show, so I'll just be honest. Um, since World War II, our government has become an insurance provider. Okay? So what happened in World War II? We had a massive amount of debt so we could uh, uh, defend Europe against the Nazis. And we, we, you know, we took on massive debt from the, the, the Americans to help support us in that war. And, it, you know, and a great thing we did in defeating the Nazis. Following that, the UK had a lot of debt. What did we do after that? We increased taxes and increased productivity. But ever since then, what we've become is an insurance provider. Okay, you're unhealthy, here's free healthcare. You're retiring, here's um, social security. Here's free bus passes. We've become an the insurance... The banks go bus, we'll bail them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've become an insurance provider. But the taxpayer's paying the insurance, we're yeah. paying it ourselves. But there isn't enough tax. There isn't enough tax receipts to do this. Mm. So what we've done is we've become an insurance provider, a failed insurance provider, who keeps getting bailed out from a, 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 an endless money printer. Okay, that's what we've done. And it doesn't work. All it does is make the poor poorer and the rich richer. And it divides society. That's all it does. 
I don't know the answer. I just know that is the problem. And you know, I'm not a uh, anarchist by any stretch of the imagination. I think we need government, but we need government with responsibility. Yeah, you know, and I don't like. I try and think of ideas, but I'm not smart enough. But I'm like, the government has a budget. If the government goes over budget, should that tr- trigger a what general election? Had, yeah, what about if they had the same rules as the private sector? Because if you and I trade insolvently, knowingly, that's fraud. We it didn't go fraud. to prison, but they've been trading knowingly and insolvently forever. For decades. Yeah. yeah. So what about if they had the same rules as the private sector? What about if they had upside reward? Because I think governments are one of the worst allocators of capital that exist. Because they have no upside... <laughs> All right, <laughs> the worst. worst. Yeah, the worst. Well, my child, maybe, might be worse. Um, they will just go and buy Lego with it. Um, I guarantee you. But they don't get any upside for investing the money well, and there's no downside if they lose the money. Whereas us... We have upside and downside. I guarantee you my daughter is a better allocator of capital than the government. I guarantee you. How old's your daughter? She's, uh, she's going to be 13. Okay, so. mine's eight, so that's why I say. Right. No, I bet your daughter is. Does your daughter have a piggy bank? Probably, yeah. Does I mean, it's probably a, not piggy anymore, but... Does she have her own money? Yeah, and I teach her about money. Okay. Yeah. Okay, my daughter has savings. Okay. When she wants something. So she's not insolvent. She's not insolvent. <laughs> yeah, she's she is a better She's athlete. in credit. And she knows when she wants something, she has to come to me and say, Dad, how can I work yeah. to earn this money? She understands she has to be productive to get the things she wants. She's productive. What we've created with the government is a, they are a, they are vultures. They are rent-seeking vultures who extract capital from the productive parts of society. And then all the people that are productive, they take a lot of tax off of them. Yeah. yeah, I'll give you some. I've got so many examples, right? This, this, oh, I'm breaking one of my rules. Yeah. The house I've just moved into. One of the rules was that we, for the, for the house to be signed off and approved, there had to be a wheelchair ramp outside. Okay, there's a gravel track that leads to it, which it doesn't suit uh, somebody in a wheelchair. Nobody in this house um, is disabled. I don't know anyone disabled. But somebody created that rule, so that ramp had to be built. Now I've moved in, we've thrown the ramp away. I mean, it's just utter stupidity, but what you've got is people working in government departments coming up with stupid rules all the time. And what they do is they extract value from the productive parts of society. And look, and I've got no issue with tax. I mean, I pay tax. And, and, and I think we should pay tax. And I like the fact that we mm. have an NHS. But it has and to I, be fair and equitable. It does. And it has to... And it, it has to go in the right places. Yes, but we don't. What we have is stupid people extracting value from the productive people in society with no recourse. With no recourse. Mm. Who've never run a business, probably. Never run a business. Yeah. And, and, and very few people understand it because very few people know what re- is really going and on. And they won't teach you in school, they won't which teach is where you should learn it. They won't teach you in school. When people like you and me talk about it, we, people think we're conspiracy theorists. It's just like we need to do a better job at educating. Like when I say we, fuck the government, they're not going to do it. They're all a bunch of morons. Mm. They're all arguing about, they all come to the middle, too scared to offend anyone, you know, yeah, whatever. It's up to people like you or I now to get this message broad and wide. We know that we can't trust the media anymore because it's not re- it's basically corporate media. I don't hate the BBC. I think the BBC does some good stuff. And I think there's some good reporters who work for Sky News. But generally speaking, the corporate media, uh, media doesn't do much. There's a real lack of investigative journalism. People like you or I, who have people who listen to us, have a duty to not be captured by audience, not waste, well, me, and not waste time on Andrew Tate, to focus on telling people the reality of what's going on in the world. I think that's a duty we have because we are in a, we are in a financial debt spiral. 
if the debt's not paid off, the debt's getting bigger. And if the debt's getting bigger, it's going to drive more inflation, which is going to have a widening gap in society. And what actually, it, what, and what, what happens if, you, uh, have, if the gap gets too wide in society? You have revolution. And those are bloody and dangerous and people die. You know, let's just, be, let's just be very honest about that. I was out in Chile during the riots and the protests there. People, people protest and people die. You know, we've seen that all across the world. And we should, the reason I am a Bitcoin and I'm a fan of Bitcoin, because for me, it is, a, it is a peaceful revolution. It is a way to educate the people around money, educate the people around government and peacefully protest. Because I'm not picking up a pitchfork. I'm not picking up a gun. I am sending a transaction to you. I'm doing a financial exchange with no intermediary. And that to me is a, a peaceful revolution. So who controls the world's money? Oh, that's a good question. Well, it depends which money we're talking about. Nobody controls Bitcoin, and that's part of the world's money. Um, but generally okay. speaking, fiat, currency. fiat currencies, well, yeah. they tend to be controlled by a combination of government and central banks. That tends to be it. The, the problem is, is I don't think many people go in there thinking, ha I'm going to be evil. The incentive structure exists so evil things happen. That's the incentive structure. You know, whether it's in the US and lobbying and, you know, trying to deregulate markets for the benefit of specific industries or, you know, it's the government that's like, well, we want to stay in power. I don't want to lose my job. So, um, you know, this is a policy we're going to pay that we know the government cannot afford, but we're going to do it anyway and we'll borrow more money from the central bank and we'll deal with the debt. Like, like the incentive structure is, and, and, and if you think about it, the political cycle's four years, four to five years. That is short term. The damage that's caused by the relentless printing of money or borrowing of money, it goes beyond that cycle. <clears throat> the problems we're experiencing right now started in 2008. The recovery from 2008 when interest rates went down to zero and we had um, you know, massive borrowing there. These things take years and decades to play out, but the political cycle does not allow you, does not allow the politicians the chance to challenge this because they will not get voted in. So it's the incentive structure that is screwed. Mm. Do you think maybe, you know, Vanguard, BlackRock, Blackstone, you know, people talk about those. Do you think they have as much control over the money than maybe some banks? I mean, they have a lot of money flow. I mean, I'll be out of my depth. I mean, I can, I could uh, come up with a thesis that they are and explain it here. And I, 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 I just don't know. Mm. But what I do know is like someone like BlackRock, Someone like Larry, it's Larry Fink, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. When, he, when he promotes ESG, he has an incentive to promote ESG because he then creates the investment market where BlackRock puts the money and benefits from. Mm. I have no doubt that the likes of BlackRock and you know, other, you know, other large companies and institutions work together and manipulate the markets. I mean, but I'm out of my depth. Mm. Yeah. I, possibly, but I don't know. Mm. I don't want to guess. Yeah. So the reason I ask these questions... By the way, I'm used to asking questions. I'm not used to being a guest. <laughs> Most of the things I'm saying now, I'm just repeating things other smart people have told me. Yeah, well, I agree with virtually all of them. I don't think in our money discussion you've said anything I disagree with. I have the same opinion. I talk about this a lot because I really feel like if you, if you can understand how the system works, it gives you a bit of an advantage. Um, because, for example, if you understand... Um, the, the way fiat currency works, well, don't keep too much of it. <laughs> Simple, really, because then your money's not going to be eroded by in inflation or whatever. And 
Um, you know, I know the conspiracy theorists love to talk about the great Ponzi scheme of fiat currency, but... It's a, it, the, the government running the fiat system is a Ponzi scheme. It is. Yeah, the fiat system's a pretty amazing invention in some ways, isn't it? Yeah, I, well, perhaps it's... I mean, again, this, someone will know better than me. Perhaps it's the central bank's involvement makes it a Ponzi scheme, or when it becomes a debt spiral. Look, fiat money exists and existed for a reason, and we need it, and it's done a lot for the world. You, you couldn't have got here without fiat money because you needed to buy the car, and yeah. buy the equipment, buy yeah, the yeah. petrol. Yeah. It is the corruption of the fiat money system by central banks, where you have eight or ten guys in a room pulling levers to try and balance an economy with no idea of the, the, the long tail effects of that. That is, that is the problem with that. And the government's ability to influence central banks or to borrow endless money from central banks to run whatever deficit they want. That's the two problems with the fiat system. It's the lack of rules. Like you said, they should just have the same rules as us. Mm. My view is if a government is going to run a, a, a deficit, then that should trigger a national election. As should Liz Truss... I.e. it's a penalty, or as, a potential as, penalty. As should Liz Truss standing down have triggered a general election because we now have an unelected psychopath as a leader. Don't you... Th I'm probably going to get a load of hate for defending Liz Truss, but I couldn't give a fuck. I'm just going to say it. She's the only one I've seen in recent times in the UK that had any desire for growth. Yeah. And she got freaking kicked out in 42 days. Yeah, but, but she, she ran a set of policies which the, uh, she hadn't run by, the, what is it, the, was it the Office for Budget Responsibility? I or, believe so. She didn't even run them by those, you mm. know, who would have probably said, these are great conservative policies, low tax, you know. Um, well, not uh, that low, but well, a bit lower. Yeah, reduced tax yeah. and, and incentivize uh, a bit incentivize of growth. growth at a time when we're entering a recession, we've got high inflation. That is not the time. When mm. you, yeah, again, I'm out of my depth, but at a time of, uh, this kind of time of period, we've got high inflation, which they haven't brought under control. How have the US brought high inflation under control with higher interest rates? They've, you know, the Fed keeps That's hiking the That's the rates. main way to do it. Yeah, but they haven't really done that enough here. Inflation's no. still at, what, 10.5%? Yeah, and, and people do not forget, uh, remember, sorry, that the average interest rate's 5 or 6%, and people have got pissed on... Zero percent for ten years, and think that's normal. Yeah, I remember my all my <coughs> mortgages and all my properties were six percent. I thought that was a good deal. I know. I've, I got an email from my bank saying I'm getting two point eight percent on my interest on my savings. I'm still losing seven percent inflation, but I'm actually getting an interest rate now. Yeah, you know, these low interest rates they distort. They're drugs. They, they, well, and they warp. The, they warp the financial yeah. systems mm. because. They, they have no cost of money. Need, borrowing money needs to have a cost. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and so anyway, so back to list trust. I mean, I th I, I'm historically a conservative voter. My dad voted conservative. And when I first voted, he was paying my way in life. That's why I voted conservative. My brother did the opposite and I used to love watching them argue. And also I just wanted to like suck up to my dad. So I voted conservative. <laughs> but I stayed a conservative voter uh, because I... I, I the idea that you get to keep more of your money that you earn is something I, I agreed with. I'm, I miss traditional conservative uh, policies. I.e. some proper capitalism, which we don't have right which now. Which we don't have yeah. now. No, what we have is, uh, we have a, what do they call it? A, oh, I forgot the word they use. Um, 
But we essentially have a system which benefits the elites within the system. Again, I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but we've built a system which allows the largest banks to fuck up and be bailed out, and for people, to, large institutions and funds to have access to cheap capital to swallow up the assets. I, 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 we don't have a traditional conservative policy anymore. We don't have roll your sleeves up and work hard. We don't have, what we have is a government that is just increasing and increasing in size, cannot operate uh, 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 responsible economic policies, and we have a widening wealth gap. Uh, we have people, like untold numbers of people relying on food banks. We now have, what is it, heat banks? People go, go to stay warm. I mean, this is the United Kingdom. Yeah, we were a successful first we were. world. We were. Well, we still are mm. a successful first world. Our GDP is high enough that we should be able to support the poorest of our country. We waste so much. How much money did we waste from COVID on, on PP? That, and that track and trace app as well. I mean, if you're a, a company and you run your own business, you're not spending 20 billion on an app, are you? You're trying to get it for 100 grand. Yeah, unless, your, like, unless your mate's running the company that's building the app. Oh, well, there you go. And you know what? The, the only interesting thing about that, they suddenly found 32 billion for that. It's a bit like um, when Liz Trust crashed the economy, they suddenly were able to borrow billions to, uh, to buy up the gilts. Okay. What if they suddenly found 40 billion to build football pitches around the country for kids to play football? Why can't they just suddenly find that? What is the reason they can find 40 billion all of a sudden to you know, protect the bond market? It just appears. They've just suddenly got it. They can suddenly find 38 billion for track and trace. They can't find 10% pay rise for nurses. They can't find 40 billion for football pitches. They can't find money for uh, mental health care. But they can find, they can protect the bond market. So, why? Because they can find money whenever they want. But why are they not putting into those places you said? Because they don't care. They just, these people do not give a shit. So why is Bitcoin the solution to government then? Oh God. Um, hmm. The thing you've been wanting to talk about. So, so there's, Bitcoin will say this thing, Bitcoin fixes this. I'm not saying it fixes everything. But in a world where we've got you know, an ever-decreasing amount of freedoms, an ever-growing surveillance state, yeah, an ever-growing watchful eye, or Bitcoin is the one thing they can't, they cannot control it. It is a decentralized money system. Now, if I want to send money to you via my bank, I can do it, but I know that transaction is being tracked by the government, and they can also stop it. Oh, perfect example. If I go to the bank, well, if you go to the bank today and you say, I'd like to withdraw £5,000 cash, what's going to happen? Load of checks and probably get rejected and ask a load of questions and money laundering excuse. Yeah, okay. Yeah. They want to know. Yeah. Um, every time, every time yeah. I withdraw cash, by the way, I always say it's for drugs and hookers, just to fuck with them. <laughs> but they always, they, they always do that. They yeah. want to know. It's like... But it's your money. It's your money. So yeah. I, I bank with Lloyd's TSB. I'm going to give you a couple examples. I bank with Lloyd's, I used to bank with Lloyd's TSB. I was with them for 25 years. About two years ago, I get a phone call. Um, and it's like, hi, Pete, it's so-and-so. Um, I wanted to do the, a review of your bank account. I want to ask you about some transactions. So I was like, sure. What? And she said, this transaction on this date, what was it for? And I went, it's none of your business. And she said, huh? And I said, do I have to answer these questions? She said, no. I said, good, I'm not answering them. 
I didn't say this, but in my head, I'm like, I am a grown man with two children. I've run multiple successful businesses. You know, if you suspect me of a crime, report me to the police and let them investigate me. But you are not phoning me up and me have to give you a reason for every one of my transactions because I don't know you for shit. I don't know who you are. When I just bought my last house, I had to send six months of bank statements. So somebody who I don't know gets to go through my bank statements and go, oh, let's, let's see what he's spending money on. Yeah, that's, it's a complete invasion of privacy, right? Yeah, this is where the world we exist in now, this complete invasion of privacy. Privacy is the, one of the fundamental pillars of democracy. If you cannot privately hold opinions and privately vote, you cannot privately uh, operate within society, what you have is coercion within politics. So we're lucky we live in the, the UK, right? If you live in China, you cannot privately hold certain opinions. If you're on WeChat and hold certain opinions and they're said, you can get, uh, you can get uh, ostracized from society. You can get removed from it. You can have your access to your bank account removed. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is the reality of the world. It is the rabbit hole you go down when you learn about what money is, how it works, and what a functioning democracy should be. And by the way, it's not every Bitcoin. Some of them are libertarian. Or some of them anarchists and believe we should have no state. But the rabbit hole of information it sends you down, the things you learn, are more important than the buying of the Bitcoin itself. And I understand you also think it's the best form of money. I do, So we've yeah. talked about it as a rebellion against totalitarian authoritarian globalism, just yep. stick all the words in, but you also think it's the best form of money. Yeah, because you can be anywhere in the world. Okay, so I'll give you another example. I went out to Japan and did an interview and I hired a local cameraman. I could not find a way to connect my bank account to his to send him money. I could not send him over PayPal, there was blocks. He sent me a Bitcoin address and he had the money in 10 minutes. Okay, that was done, transaction done. Um, I, on the Lightning Network, can send, I can send Bitcoin to anyone in the world instantly, and it settles instantly. There is no friction. There's no rent seeker in the middle. Okay? There is no surveillance in the middle. I am allowed to voluntarily interact with anyone and, share, and send value to them in the world at any point. Okay? That, to me, is a brilliant form of money. The second reason it's brilliant money is it changes the incentive model. At the moment, what happens if you save money in the bank? They lend it out. No, what happens to your money? Like what like physically happens to the value of the money you keep in the bank? Well, it goes down. It's a, it's a melting ice cube. Yeah. You have £100 in there next year, its purchasing power might be £90 the year yeah. after. Yeah, it might be 85 the year after that. It's a melting ice cube. The reason it's a melting ice cube is because they debase it constantly. Mm. Now, Bitcoin, you cannot debase. It is volatile, and we can come to that, and we can talk about that, but it cannot be debased. There's only 21 million. And because it's kind of essentially deflationary, some people argue it isn't, it makes you consider your purchases. So the incentive model for our money in the bank right now is to spend it, right? If I had a million pound in the bank, I'd be an idiot to leave it in there. I need to at least find an investment where it's gonna get 10% return every year, or I need to spend it and enjoy myself. But I need to get value from it, mm. because the value is decreasing. If you look at the Bitcoin price chart, right? One guarantee is every four years, it goes up in value, pretty much. Every four years, it goes up in value. So, you know, Laszlo, who bought the, the uh, Bitcoin, he bought the pizza for 10,000 Bitcoin, yeah, years ago, now no shit, if I'd have just kept that, that would be worth hundreds of millions. 
I have bought things with Bitcoin where in the future I'm like, shit, that would be worth now. But so, if it keeps going up, does that not incentivize to store it, not use it as an exchange mechanism? No, I still spend it, but I'm more considered about my purchase. Rather than my money in the bank now, I'm like, where do I spend it now? I've got to spend it. If I don't spend it, it loses value. Mm. I become more responsible. I'm like, okay, where should I spend it? Should Do I need that? Do I need that car? You know, do I, do I need to buy anything? What will that be worth in the future? Mm. And that also then flips the system that you don't have, you maybe have less companies like, companies like H&M who produce absolute dog shit clothes. So anyone can go in and buy something for a five or a tenner. They're produced out in places like Vietnam. They exploit the workers there. And that fast fashion industry, as to pollution, you know, we have this world of buy, 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 keep fucking buying, don't save any money. That is because we have a system that says spend the money. You need to spend the money. Uh, my dad's day, it was, no, you save money. You save for the future. You save for a rainy day. We're now spend, spend, spend because of the incentives. Bitcoin has flipped that. It's gone back to being responsible. You know, it is a system that cannot be corrupted. You cannot change the Bitcoin protocol. You cannot, you cannot influence it. Every 10 minutes, whatever you do, another block will be created with the transactions in it. And that, what that does is you go from a system where the current fiat money system, there's a few people at the top that control it, and they decide what happens to everyone else. This is different. You get to voluntarily interact with it and decide what you get from it without any perverse external influence. And to me, that's just, that's the best form of money. So surely then the government are absolutely going to do everything that they can. And when I say the government, let's assume it's one government, like some people say we're moving towards. Surely it's the antithesis of everything that they want to be out of control. I think it depends what you stand for as a politician. If you go out to Texas, which is essentially freedom country, Senator Cruz or Governor Abbott out there, they absolutely support Bitcoin because they support freedom. And they know Bitcoin is a freedom technology. We don't really have that culture of you know, caring about freedom like Texans or even Republicans do in the US. But we do have some people that understand this. But we are a Western liberal democracy. If we as a country believe that Bitcoin is good and we educate that Bitcoin is good, we can overthrow a government or remove a government that bans it. And this is why it's so important to educate people on what Bitcoin is. Like, dismiss the FUD. You know, explain to people what it does, why you should care about it. And because we as a democracy can protect this. But it's up to us as a people to protect this. Do you think then there could be a future where there are multiple currencies and there isn't just one? Well, there is multiple currencies yeah. now, but they're essentially controlled by central banks. And essentially at the moment, the US dollar is the reserve one. So do you think there's a future where there's a decentralized current system, currency system. We do, Bitcoin. Bitcoin but then is. if Bitcoin becomes the, it's not because it's only one. Yeah, you can't, decentralized isn't just one, oh, is it? It's so, many. Sorry, you mean a decentralized set of currencies? Yeah. I mean, look. Because I used to, sorry to just jump in, but I used to think that's not really realistic, is it? To have a set of decentralized ones. But before we had money, we had barter. So we had multiple decentralized systems. Yeah, and we have that now. I mean, you can see it. Okay. Do we really though? No, we do. And so I'll give you two examples. So if you've been to Cambodia, no. Okay, when you go to Cambodia... That's a big win. <laughs> well, I can't remember what their local currency is, but when you're there in the capital, they want dollars. Because they know the local currency is shit. Yeah. Okay, I can't remember what it is. I know it's the dong in Vietnam, but I think I'm, cause I'm quite juvenile, that's why I remember that. <laughs> but, 
but they want they want dollars, and yeah. when they want dollars, they look and they expect it. And if it's got a tear, they don't want it. They want yeah. crisp, pristine dollars. Why do you think they want those dollars? Because it's the reserve currency of the world. Yes, because yeah. they know their local currency. They trust it, and it's melting away. Yeah. Yeah. When you go to, I've been to Venezuela. Venezuela operates with five currencies. They have the bolivar, which is the worst currency in the world. They have the dollar. They have the Colombian peso. They have Bitcoin, and they have uh, the petro. Forget the petro. When you go there, nobody wants the Bolivar. They only use it because they have to, because the Maduro government forces them to. Nobody wants that currency. They want dollars, or they want Colombian peso, or they want Bitcoin, because they know it's a better form of money. They naturally know this. You at no point in your life in this country have ever thought, I need anything apart from the pound, right? Because it kind of works. Inflation's insidious. Well, I kind of do now. I want minimum pound and maximum asset. Well, there you go. Yeah. You've learned that. But like, yeah. generally speaking, you know, two, three percent inflation, it's insidious, but, but you can usually outperform it and you mm. can get by. Argentina, multiple currency collapses, mm. yeah, probably 50% inflation now, whatever. I don't know what I'm just saying, I guess high. They want dollars. Mm. So if you're in a country where the money's shit, you naturally want the best form of money. Once you've got the best form of money, you don't need anything else. Well, once people have Bitcoin and they can trust it, it preserves their value, why do they need anything else? They might be sold that a new currency will make them more money, but that's a speculative investment. Once a currency has proven itself as the best, you do not need another currency. So other people might try and create them. I mean, they create them all the time. We call them shitcoins. Have you got any money in shitcoins? Have you ever gone into shitcoins? Oh, yeah, I did at the very start. I was like, I I thought this was a a technological revolution. I thought we're going to have all these blockchains and all these you know, solving problems. It's just a myth. What we had is we had a money problem and Bitcoin solved it. And no other shitcoin has done a better job because they're not as decentralized. Uh, they have centralized gatekeepers and just a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah. Bitcoin is like, an, it was like, I had an immaculate conception, right? Came out of nowhere. Mm. Now, if someone does create something better, fine, but they just haven't. Mm. Some Monero holders would say that's better. Yeah. Ether- anyone who's got Ethereum is absolute crap. Dogecoin is a joke. Are you one of these people that thinks there's Bitcoin and then there's <clears throat> everything else? Yeah. Yeah, there's a line between. You can't say um, all cryptos are like Bitcoin and all Bitcoins like other cryptos. It's Bitcoin and everything else. Bitcoin, not crypto. Bitcoin, yes. not blockchain. Anyone who talks about blockchain is a snake oil salesman, like blockchain experts. Like but maybe there are some blockchain experts, aren't there? Yeah, they are, yeah. but they're snake oil salesmen. Because How? Because block, the blockchain is just one part of, what, it's one part of the technology yeah. that makes Bitcoin work alongside proof of work, and alongside the difficulty adjustment. It's just a component, okay? Mm. It's, it's a marketing term. If you say you're a blockchain expert, you are a snake oil salesman. You are trying to sell something that doesn't matter. A blockchain solves one thing, it solves one problem. And that is? The double, the, 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 uh, double spending. Historically, when people have tried to create money, digital money, decentralized, one of the problems they've run into is the double spending problem. That I had this digital money, I could send it to you, but I also sent it to Harry. Well, how do we know who got it? The blockchain is a time-stamped, sequential set of transactions um, that proves who has what money. And that's all a blockchain, that's all a blockchain has done. They're shit databases. They're really slow. They're inefficient. But that's all it does. Mm. So now we have that. You know, we have this ledger. We don't need any other blockchains. They don't solve any other problem. Like, you know when you say, oh, like, 
we would use, we're going to track tomatoes on the blockchain for authenticity. We're going to have voting on the blockchain. That doesn't produce any authenticity because there are, with those systems, there's externalities to the blockchain. You're tracking tomatoes on the blockchain, that where they came from, and that's a thing that exists. It's all you're saying, this is a database of records. The Bitcoin exists within the blockchain. That's why it works. Right. I'm interested in watches. Wouldn't it be good? It's just completely random. What are you wearing? I'm Vacheron at the moment. How many watches you got? Anywhere between 12 and 30 at any one time. Wow. Yeah. I sometimes move them around, and I've, I probably shouldn't say how many I've got. Well, you trade I? them? Sometimes. You them? Yeah. I collect trainers. Right. Yeah, I saw your Nikes. Yeah. That you were wearing. You like high tops, do you? No, I like dunks. I like right. Dunks. I've got about 400 of them. Yeah. That's my wow. thing. Uh, do, do, you know, do you know why I collect them? Because the money's shit. I know if I buy a pair of dunks, a limited, yeah. I have to attract them. That's why I buy in watches. T- yeah, in 10 years, those pair of dunks will be worth more than they That's are. That's why today. I buy watches. There you go. And you get to enjoy them. So I love Lego. I got I invested money into Lego because it, it goes down, the right stuff goes down less than 10% a year. I looked recently at the Death Star, it was 750 quid. Yeah. <laughs> I just bought the Atat, that's about 700 you quid. Did. The Star Destroyer. Do you the make Millennium them or leave Falcon. them in the boxes? Um, well, I. I I love playing Lego with my kids. And I'm, you love playing with Lego. Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah, I love Lego. I love Lego. I bet you're um, making it and they're just watching TV. No, well, yeah. I, and I kind of, when I make it with them, I have to remember to let them do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if, if something's retired, I'll buy it in its investment. Okay. Um, or a better store of money, should we say? A decentralized store of money. So that has to stay in the box and be unopened. Even the seals, the seals are there. Um, some Lego. Uh, I build it, but I keep the boxes, I keep all the wrappers, I keep everything. So then I could take it all apart and sell it for probably 80 to 90% of what I paid for it for. So, you know, watches for me is a free hobby because I love them. And if I buy the right ones, they go up. Lego is essentially a free hobby. Money in the bank is a depreciating liability. So this is, I think it was Jeff Booth. He's, he wrote a book called The Price of Tomorrow. It's all about... Uh, uh, inflation and deflationary technologies mm. and I'm pretty sure he said when the money isn't scarce everything else is right yeah that makes sense to me completely because I want everything but money right now yeah I just bought a 1989 911 turbo nice yeah 130 grand because I would ru- if I lose 10% a year on that Porsche which I won't that'll go up that's less than money so my money is better in an old car than it is in the bank artwork Trainers, Bitcoin, front row of the Knicks, old classic cars. Yeah. Uh, when the money isn't scarce, everything else is. If the money's scarce, then everything else isn't. Yeah. I hold Bitcoin because it's scarce. Mm. I have very high conviction. I have no conviction on what my value of my Bitcoin will be tomorrow. It could be fucking anything. A very high conviction in 10 years' time, everything I've got in Bitcoin is going to be worth considerably more than it is now yeah. because it is a scarce monetary asset. Okay, People in Venezuela dump the Bolivar as soon as they can and they get dollars because that money is shit. The same happened in Zimbabwe, the Lebanese pound, the Turkish lira. People get rid of those currencies because they're crap. They want something that holds value. Bitcoin is the best version of that, but it's very early. A lot of people don't trust it. They think it's weird. So it's volatile, but it's mm. the best form of money. 
this is one of its downsides, isn't it? Because, I mean, I see a lot of the Bitcoin community and I almost see like, they're almost like, they're so evangelist, they can't see the downside. And they're betting everything on something that's, what, 20 years old? Is it 20 years old? What is 30, it? 14 years old. Okay, so. 2009. Yeah. Gen actually, generally. Not a lot of history behind it. No? And you said money um, for evolution every 90 odd years. Yeah, fiat currency 90 years, gold 5,000 years. Is it 5,000 years? I think it's 5,000 years. So, what, so are you saying Bitcoin could be the next 5,000 year currency? Well, it can be the next infinite currency if it's the best. Until the Can sun. anything really be infinite? I mean, well, you, you, I say in, in, until until humans destroy themselves or the well, sun. Well, that's definitely not infinite, sun, is it? The sun burns. What I'm saying is four it, billion years. You know, the reason it can be the permanent future currency is because it is decentralized, so no one can corrupt it. And once it's the best form of money, everyone will want to use it. Okay. Yeah. All the other currencies were kind of coerced or forced into using. China, you have no choice what you use. Yeah, here we have a bit of freedom. You can, you know, go and buy other currencies and yada yada. You can. I could pay you in Bitcoin if I wanted to. Yeah. I could pay you in. I could probably convince you to take dollars. Yeah. If I offer you ten percent more, you know, you can go and exchange it. Yeah. Um, it can be the if if it wins. We haven't won yet. When you say win, like it against becomes, what? It becomes the dominant global, either form of money or reserve currency. My, I think it ends up becoming a, it's the global reserve currency. Once it's done that, it's won. If you want to hear more from Peter and Rob's conversation about money, the banking system, who controls the world, the truth about Andrew Tate, head over to the Disruptors podcast to watch the full exclusive interview. If you're listening to this at the time of publish, the episode may not be live yet, but if you head over to the Disruptors podcast, search for Peter McCormack, you'll find the episode when it's live. Peter also has a brilliant podcast, What Bitcoin Did with Peter McCormack. He has uh, interviews with some of the leading figures in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. So if you want to learn more, go listen to his show. He's an absolute brilliant guy. Big thank you to Peter McCormack for coming on the show today. Absolute legend. But remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.